Amen. All right. Good morning. On count of three, everybody say, go Patriots now. <laughs> I'm going to make you do that. All right. Uh, then Jesus, I have a new microphone. They'll eventually be adjusting it down because it's like freaking me out. I'm calling your attention to it, so, which I'm not supposed to do. Here we go. All right. Hey, uh, Luke records these words in the fourth chapter of his gospel. Again, at verse one. Uh, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, and, and what he's doing there is he's attacking Jesus' very identity. If you are the Son of God, tell these stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Then Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord, your God. When the devil had finished tempting him, Jesus, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. May God bless the reading of his word and would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, we love you and we trust in you. Uh, We stand in all of who you are, of your great and undying, unbounded, unconditional love for each and every one of us. And God, you know us, you know our hearts, our hopes, our dreams, you know where we are in our journey with you. And Father, I pray that you would just break through all walls and all barriers that we might hear your voice. God, I pray that, that I might hear your voice even as I stand up here and speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to the week two of our new series, Getting Better at What Jesus Said Matters Most, uh, which is to love God with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. As you love who? As you love yourself. Now, last week we said that the starting point uh, for getting better begins with the Father's love. We love because He first loved us. Maple Grove, I I have some awesome, incredible, mind-blowing news for you. Uh, The Father's love for you is a love beyond reason. Uh, The Father's love for you is a love that delights in you. Uh, The Father's love for you is a love that is for you. Uh, The Father's love for you is a love that pays attention to you and that constantly pursues you. Amen? I mean, that's some good stuff, right? Get it? Good. And I wrapped up last week by extending to you three invitations. Number one, the invitation to stop questioning God's unconditional love and begin to accept and embrace it as your own. Number two, the invitation to define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is your true self. Every other identity is an illusion. And number three, the invitation to to let your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. 
so that you will be able to understand as all God's children should how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is and to experience that love for yourself though it's so great that you'll never see the end of it. Now those are some awesome invitations. I don't care who you are. We love because he first loved us. Okay, repeat after me with with a, a passionate belief. God loves me. God loves me. I said passionate belief. All right. God loves me. God loves me. God's crazy about me. God's crazy about me. God can never get enough of me. God can never get enough of me. Now, like I've been saying from the beginning, before you and I will ever love God with all we got and, and love our neighbor as God intends, we must first love ourselves. And brothers and sisters, plunging the depths of God's love is where loving yourself not only begins, but where it continues to live. So put on your wetsuits because we're going deep and, and, and we're staying long. Uh, now this morning we're going to unpack a conversation that I'm calling Pushing Through. I uh, understand, but before you can really love yourself, you must push through something. You must push through a barrier. You must push through insecurity. Here, here's basic definition of insecurity. It's self-doubt. A feeling of uncertainty about yourself, lack of confidence and anxiety about yourself, low self-esteem. A bottom line, it's, it's hard, if not impossible, to really love yourself if you're insecure about who you are, if you have a low self-esteem for yourself. And listen, when it comes to insecurity, in many ways, it really is everybody's battle, even famous, rich, and beautiful people. In fact, this week, I read an article online on the Huffington Post that talked about 20 celebrities who battle insecurity. Here, here's a few of them. You may recognize some of them. Ryan Reynolds. He says, I still feel like an overweight, pimply kid a lot of the time. Uh, Sandra Bollock, I'm an optimistic, joyous person, but also afraid and insecure. Uh, Robert Pattinson of Harry Potter and then later Twilight fame uh, you have to confront your insecurities quite a lot, and I have plenty of insecurities, even more now. And here's someone who's famous simply for being famous, um, uh, Kim Kardashian. I'm a lot more insecure than people would assume. And there are others on the list, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Justin Timberlake, and a bunch more. And check out what this very famous person said in an interview with Vogue Magazine, Vogue Magazine a few years back. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. And you know who said that? Uh, a lady named Madonna. And like I said, insecurity, it's pretty much everyone's battle at one time or another, even, even Jesus followers. Now, some of you have heard of a lady named Sheila Walsh, who, Christian singer, a writer, host on 700 Club, and a woman of faith conference speaker. She wrote a book a few years back called Love Back to Life, and she writes this. 
One morning, I was sitting on a national television program with my nice suit and my inflatable hairdo. (laughs) And that night, I was in the lock ward of a psychiatric hospital. The psychiatrist asked me, who are you? I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. That's not what I meant, he said. Well, I'm a writer. I'm a singer. Uh, That's not what I meant. Who are you? I don't have a clue, I said. He replied, now that's right. And that's why you're here. And she continued, I've been measuring myself by what other people thought of me, and it it has been slowly killing me. Before I entered the hospital, a friend from the 700 Club tried to dissuade me from the journey. Please, Sheila, don't do this. If, If you do, God won't be able to use you again. Besides, people trust you. Once the public finds out where have you been, your ministry is over. You'll never be special again. She replied, I'm not trying to save my ministry. I'm trying to save my life. And listen, at the the lowest moment of her life, she not only found that God was there, but that he both knew her and loved her for who she was and where she was right then. And then he loved her back to life. And now she's living free from all insecurity. Everybody's battle one time or another. Now, I, I try to find some survey that would give me percentages of people who deal with insecurity. I couldn't find any good ones, so I thought I'd do a survey in here. All right? uh, raise your hand if you've ever struggled with feelings of insecurity. Okay, you can put them down. Uh, raise your hands if you struggle with insecurity more times than you care to admit. And raise your hand if you're too insecure to raise your hand. And here's how I want to attack this conversation pushing through. Uh, first, by talking about some of the major causes of insecurity, and then by talking about a way that we can push through insecurity and get to the other side. So, Maple Grove, are you ready to do this? Yeah. All right, three people. Awesome. <laughs> I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, causes. Uh, number one, believing the lies of the enemy. John writes, he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Uh, Understand, our enemy is a liar, and he will do whatever he needs to do in an effort to attack your worth and your value and your security that you have in Jesus Christ. And understand, he often speaks his lies through other people, spouses, brothers, sisters, friends, culture, the media, and especially through, through parents. You know, parents can be pretty crazy. And they can say some crazy things. I know, I've been one for almost 33 years. And recently I found examples of crazy things that mom and dad say to preschoolers. I mean, grown people, educated people say these things. I know it hurts, but I will not kiss your butt. (laughs) No, honey, her face isn't melting. Those are called wrinkles. No, he doesn't have a baby in his tummy. Sometimes your breath stinks too. Don't hit your brother while he's sleeping. Take the funnel out of your sister's ear. Put grandpa's teeth back where you got them. Please get your feet off of grandma's head. Where are your clothes? Yes, you make a beautiful ballerina, but little boys don't wear tutus to church. What if I spit in your soda? Don't put the chips back in the bowl after you have licked them. Please don't chew on your dirty underwear. The dog's nose does not need picking. 
You just can't pee in anyone's yard. And yes, it does make me very happy when you poop. <laughs> and as kids get older, you know, I think the things that parents say is even crazier. And have you noticed that parents sometimes ask questions that they don't really want the answer to? Like, do you want me to give you something to cry for? Yeah, that'd be great. Beat me silly, right? <laughs> Close the door. Do you think you were born in a barn? Do, do you think I cleaned this house for my health? I'm not sure, but you are looking pretty good, Mom. You know? <laughs> do you want me to come up there? Nah, we're good. You're tired? I'll give you tired. <laughs> this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. Total lie. <laughs> and my all-time favorite, do I look stupid to you? <laughs> Yeah, you do. Your parents can say crazy things, funny things, insane things. And they can also say some pretty cruel, hateful things, hurtful things, some image and security distorting things. Why can't you be more like your brother? Can't you do anything right? Uh, I wish you were never born. You always disappoint me. You'll never amount to anything. When will you ever get your act together? I, I can't wait till you grow up and get out of here. I never really wanted you in the first place. And, and listen, hurtful words like these cause people to embrace negative beliefs and lies about who they are, which many people carry into adulthood. I'm a mistake. I'm a burden. I always mess up everything. It was all my fault. I am worthless. I will never measure up or be good enough for anyone. In his book, Emotionally, you know, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, Peter Cassaro, it's a great book, one of the books I'm reading from my study, almost through it, he says this, it's astounding how many deeply committed followers of Jesus would affirm that those statements articulate how they truly feel about themselves. In fact, recently I was having lunch with somebody and uh, his mom's in her 80s, and his dad has recently died. And he was sharing how his mom is beginning to feel the weight of all the negative things said to her by her parents when she was growing up. And she doesn't have her husband there to counteract the lies. And she has been a committed Jesus follower for six decades Another major cause of insecurity is what I call drinking the deadly toxin of comparison. Now, during my studies for this message, I came across an article on the website on Psychology Today, dated April 7th, 2015, called The Epidemic of Insecurity. Uh, a lady by the name of Beverly Flaxington writes, Remember those good old days when you were a child and your parents used to always tell you how wonderful, great, and one of a kind you were? Oh, Lily, those are alphabet already. She's the smartest little girl. Jimmy's so good to help Granny with his chores. Isn't he the kindest little boy? And Annie, in her new dress, is so lovely. When she grows up, she's going to be the most beautiful girl on earth. It felt really good to hear that about yourself. Like you could do anything and, and be the best at everything. And, and you know why you were so confident and proud of yourself then? It's not because people said that you were the most perfect little human being. It's because you actually believed it. She continues, and then you grew up and grew a mind of your own. Let me guess. Not so many people tell you that you're the smartest, funniest, or most good-looking person out there. And when they do, you don't tend to believe them as readily and completely 
as he used to as a little child. And here's our powerful conclusion. At some point in your life, somewhere in your mind, you started comparing yourself to others. And that's the point where your self-esteem and your belief in your world supremacy suffered its first blow. Now understand, nothing can kill contentment and feed insecurity like comparison. And listen, like I've said many times before, now more than any time in history, we live in a culture of constant comparison. I mean, through media, both social and traditional, we have instant access to the lives of those we know, those we don't, those we can't stand, those we wish we were, those we'd give anything to measure up to. Well, we don't have access to their lives. We have access to the parts of their lives they want us to see. I mean, nobody posts on Facebook the shot of Tommy karate chopping his little sister in the line at Disney World. Or Sally rolling her eyes at her mom, slamming the door because she's not allowed to go to the movie. Instead, they post a shot of Tommy holding the game ball. And Sally accepting the dance competition's trophy. And the enemy uses all of this, the images we see of who we think others are and what we think they're doing to make us feel that we're boring by comparison, even worthless. Understand, one of the main reasons we struggle with insecurity is because we're comparing our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reel. The reasons we struggle with insecurity is because we're comparing our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reel. Get it? Good. Have you ever logged on the Facebook and after a few minutes started feeling really bummed out and insecure about your marriage, your stuff, your job, your kids, your accomplishments, your looks, your life, yourself? If so, you're not alone. A study was conducted by the University of Gothenburg in Sweden where researchers found that prolonged uh, Facebook exposure negatively impacts the user's self-esteem, with women being more affected than men. Question, when someone gets a promotion, when someone gets a new girlfriend or boyfriend, buys a new house or car, when someone loses 25 pounds, gets married, experiences huge success, when someone posts, their, posts that perfect family picture in front of their flawless Christmas tree, do you feel worse about who you are? Understand, when you compare how you look, what you have, where you live, what you know, what you accomplish, what you do to other people, your vision of who you really are will be severely distorted. Now, the first king of Israel, King Saul, is a textbook case of how compulsive comparison will mess up your life. I mean, he's a successful king. The people like him. He's a great warrior. But when he starts comparing himself to David... He starts thinking, hey, they like David more than me. I think David's better than me. Result, he loses everything. His sanity, his crown, his life. It's a really sad story. And listen, when when you compare your life to the lives of other people, you will lose as well. Now, you may not have a crown to lose, but you will lose the unique life that God created you to live. Understand, God did not create you to live somebody else's life. God did not create you to live somebody else's life. Get it? Good. A third cause of insecurity is accepting and embracing a false identity. Now, in his book, uh, uh, Peter S., as I call him, because I don't like to say the last name, um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, 
I, I highly recommend that book. He has a chapter called Know Yourself That You May Know God. And in that chapter, he shared some powerful insights about accepting and embracing false identities using the story of the temptation of Christ in Luke chapter 4 that we read earlier. Now, be honest, I, I've looked at Jesus' encounter with Satan in the wilderness from many different angles over the years. It's such a powerful pack scene. However, I've never looked at it from this angle. And you know, I, I think Peter is on to something. I understand these three powerful temptations in the wilderness by the evil one threaten us today just as they threatened Jesus, enticing us to embrace a false identity. False identity number one is, I am what I do. Performance. Question, have you ever accepted and embraced this identity? This false identity that you are what you do? You know, in your own mind, circle yes or no. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And understand, up until this time, Jesus had not done much in the first 30 years of his life. Just some basic carpentry stuff. Table here, chair there. I mean, he hadn't accomplished much of anything that would cause people to notice. Nothing impressive. You see, he had not yet begun his ministry. So Satan is basically saying to him, Jesus, do something. Do something. Jesus, what contribution have you made to the world that would give you any value? And brothers and sisters, our culture and our enemy ask you the same question. What have you achieved? How have you demonstrated your usefulness? What have you done that matters? What have you ever accomplished that is of any significant worth? Uh, Peter S. writes, now most of us consider ourselves worthwhile if we have scored su sufficient success in work, family, school, church, relationships. And when we don't, we may move harder and faster, go inward into depression, out of shame, or perhaps blame others for why we've not performed so well. Again, false identity, number one, I am what I do. False identity, number two, I am what I have. Possessions. Question, have you ever accepted and embraced this false identity that you are what you have? I mean, if you had more stuff, better stuff, bigger stuff, would you feel better about who you are today? Luke tells us that Jesus was taken to see all the wealth, splendor, and power of the earth. Now, the devil basically said to him, Jesus, look around. Look around at what everybody else has. Jesus, you don't have much of anything. I mean, everybody else's camel is the newest model. And you don't even have a camel, Jesus. So what makes you think you have anything of value? Now, I'm pretty sure that we all are well aware that our culture often measures our success and worth by what we have, by stuff, by possessions. In fact, marketers spend more than $15 billion each year seducing children and adolescents to believe that they have to have certain toys, clothes, iPads, iPhones, and gaming systems. I mean, their very identity depends on those things, right? And as adults, we also measure our worth by what we have. I mean, who has the most money? Who lives in the, who lives in the biggest house? Who drives the, the newest car? You know, who has the most in shape, beautiful body? You know, who has stored up the most wealth? Who lives the most comfortable lifestyle? Who can take the most exotic vacations? Uh, uh, Peter writes, often our sense of worth is tied to our positions at work, the money and perks. Who has the best education? From what school? 
the most talents and awards, more degrees on a resume, who has the most attentive, handsome boyfriend or husband, the best-looking girl or wife. And false identity number three is I am what others think. Popularity. Have you ever accepted and embraced this false identity that you are what other people think? Luke tells us that Satan invited Jesus to throw himself down from the highest spot of the temple so that people might believe in him. And again, again, at this point, people did not think anything of Jesus. He was not well-known, not very popular. He was pretty much invisible outside of his small hometown of Nazareth. So how could he think he had any worth and value? I understand most of us place a higher premium on what other people think than we realize or we care to admit. I mean, it influences what we think other people think of us. It influences so much of what we do. What will I say or not say in this conversation? And what school will my child attend that will impress others? Who will I date? What should I wear? Do I tell that person that he or she hurt me? What kind of career should I pursue? What family photos or awesome thing should I post on Facebook or Instagram that will impress people? And then we sit back and see, how many likes did I get this time? All because we've accepted and embraced the false identity that I am what others think. And listen, one of the truest indicators that we've embraced this false identity is when our self-image soars with a compliment and is devastated by criticism. Maybe go three of the major causes of insecurity are believing the lies of the enemy, drinking the deadly toxin of comparison, and accepting, embracing a false identity. You are what you do, you are what you have, you are what others think. Now let's talk about the way through insecurity. First, we push through it by resisting and replacing the lies of the enemy with God's truth. Resist and replace the lies of the enemy with God's truth. Jesus said in John 8, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you, set you free. But, but how do we know when it is our enemy who's talking to us by knowing the truth? I mean, when Jesus did battle with the enemy in the wilderness, he combated the lies not only by knowing the truth, but by quoting the truth. Jesus told them, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. The scriptures say you must worship the Lord and serve him only. The scriptures say you must not test the Lord your God. Got to replace and resist the lies of the enemy, the truth of God. Now, I've always loved this filter for understanding whose voice is actually in my head. Um, It comes from a book called Waking the Dead by John Eldridge. I consider it a must read for every, every Christ follower. Great book, Waking the Dead. He says this, any word or suggestion that brings discouragement, condemnation, or accusation, that is not from God. Neither is confusion, nor any counsel that would lead you to disobey what you know. Reject it all and carry on in your journey. The voice of God is never condemning, never harsh or accusing. His conviction brings a desire for repentance. Satan's accusation kills our hearts. We must Resist and replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. You weren't a mistake. You're not a burden. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault that that happened. 
you do measure up. You do count. You do matter. Now, John Eldridge in his book, Waking the Dead, has two quotes that have been like etched on my heart for the past 11 years. I love them. Here's the first one. And I think for some of you, it's like, man, God brought you here to hear this because you've been so down on yourself. You are not what you think you are. There's a glory to your life that the enemy fears, and he's hell-bent on destroying that glory before you act on it. And I love the second one just as well. The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows who you could be and fears it. We've got to resist and replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. And we also push through by saying no to comparing yourself to others. God said through Paul, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. In other words, God's saying, it's a really a dumb idea, right? It's really dumb, it's really stupid to compare yourself with other people. And when it comes to comparison, just say no. Remember, as I said earlier, God does not want you to become someone else. He wants you to become you. He wants you to become you right? He wants you to become the best version of you. You're not going to get to heaven. God's going to say, hey, why weren't you him? Why weren't you her? He, he just wants you to be you. And bottom line, if you're on Facebook, Instagram, or whatever gram, and what you're seeing and reading is making you feel bad about who you are, log off. Log off. Uh, understand, you are a unique individual created by God and created for God. Amen? You are a unique individual created by God and for God. And what I want us to do, would you guys please stand? There's a great psalm, Psalm 139, where David realizes who he is with God. And I want you and I together on three, right? We're going we're gonna to read this back to God. One, two, three. Let's go. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Amen. You guys can be seated. It's all true. You know, as a teen, I frequently drank the deadly toxin of comparison. And I was the furthest thing from a Christian, but God actually spoke through some 1970 classic rock and a group called Sticks and an album called The Grand Illusion. And it's good stuff. And here's a line that really spoke to this messed up teenager, right? Don't be fooled by the radio, the TV, or the magazine. They'll show you photographs of how your life should be, but they're just someone else's fantasy. So if you think your life is complete confusion because your neighbor's got it made, just remember it's a grand illusion, and deep inside, 
We're all the same. Messed up. They, this is my part. Messed up, flawed, and imperfect, right? It's just an illusion. To really love yourself, you must push through insecurity. And you do that by resisting, replacing the enemy's lies with God's truth, saying no to comparing yourself to others, and third, by seeing yourself through the lens of the Father. And now, Friday, I decided, you know, I, I want to take some pictures of myself, you know, using my, my, my MacBook Pro. And I think they're pretty awesome. So I want to see what you think of them. Yeah, here's one right there. That's, that's pretty good, right? I mean, it kind of looks like me. That's a good one. Here's another one. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good one right there, right there. I like that one. I like that one. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one right there. All right. All right. Kind of twist it there. Oh, what's going on there? That's, you know, one more. Oh, that's, I love that one. I, I kind of love that one right there. That's good. That's good. Man, is, did I really look like that? I, I, I mean, that was me in front of the laptop camera, right? And here's my point. When you and I accept and embrace those false identities, you are what you do. You are what you have. You are, you are what other people think. They become a lens that distorts how you see yourself. But, but listen, it's not you. It's the lens. It's not you. It's not you. It's the lens. Get it? Good. And Maple Grove, though you and I will often choose to see ourselves through the false lenses that the enemy throws our way, guess what? Jesus never did. Now, now, what made Jesus so sure of who he really was? What enabled him to refuse to pick up those false identities? Well, it's because of the event that happened right before he was led out into the wilderness. A- anybody know what that event was? It was his baptism in the Jordan River. Mark chapter 1, 10 and 11. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And I love with a guy named Henry Nguyen, he's a a Dutch priest, what he writes about this event. It is so awesome. He writes, I very much believe that the core moment of Jesus' public life was the baptism in the Jordan. When Jesus heard the affirmation, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased, that is the core experience of Jesus. He's reminded in a deep way of who he is. The temptations in the desert are temptations to move him away from that spiritual identity. He was tempted to believe he was someone else. You're the one who can turn stones into bread. You're the one who who can jump from the temple. You're the one who can make others bow down to you. Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm the one loved by God. Nguyen writes, I think his whole life is continually claiming that identity in the midst of everything. There are times in which he's praised, times when he is despised or rejected, but he keeps saying, others will leave me alone, but the Father will not leave me alone. I am the beloved Son of God. That is my identity. Brothers and sisters, when when the Father ripped open the heavens, when the Spirit descended like, like a dove, and when God shouted from the sky, you are my Son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased, Jesus was given a lens to see himself through. You know, and, and if Jesus would continue to see himself through that lens, the vision of who he was would never be distorted. I understand when the devil tempted him, when people rejected him, when, when his own would not receive him, when they wanted to make him a, a worldly king, when they praised him for his miracles, when the leaders turned against him, when a friend betrayed him, when everyone abandoned him, Jesus still knew who he was. He was never tempted to be someone else. 
And here's the good news. God invites you and I to see ourselves through that very same lens, the lens of how the Father sees us. And you know what? When God sees me through that lens, here's what I look like. Right there. That's me. Yeah, baby. That's me. That's me right there. That's it. God said, that's my boy. That's Steve right there. (laughs) That's me. And you know what? There's more truth to that than falsehood. That's how God sees us. Who are you? I understand the Father is looking at you this morning and saying, who are you? You are my son. You're my daughter. You're the one I love. You're the one that I adopted into my very own family. You're the one that I chose even before I laid the foundations of the earth. You're the one who despite your flaws and your failures are so worthy of my grace. You're the one who means so very much to me. Guys, here's the deal. If you do not see yourself as one who the Father loves intensely and freely, you're looking through the wrong lens. If you do not see yourself as someone that the Father loves intensely and freely, you are looking through the wrong lens. In his book, Abba's Child, Brendan Manning, Abba's Child, Brendan Manning, great author, uh, talks about a guy named John Egan, ordinary guy, high school teacher in Milwaukee. He spent 30 years ministering to youth and, and, and struggling with and seeing himself worthy of the one who, as he puts it, is able to perform miracles with nothing more than mud and spit. However, during an eight-day spiritual retreat, his spiritual mentor said something that pulled it all together for John. John, the heart of it is this, to make the Lord and his immense love for you constitute your personal worth. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. God's love for you and his choice of you constitutes your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. Later that evening, John wrote in his journal, the basis of my personal worth is not my possessions, my talent, not esteem of others, not reputation, not kudos of appreciation from parents and kids, not applause, and not everyone telling me how important I am to the place. I said, anchored now, in God, before who I stand naked, this God who tells me, you are my son, my beloved one. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. God's love for you and choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. God's love for you and choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that. Let it become the most important thing in your life. Get it? Good. Two quick things and we're done. Uh, Number one, to, to define yourself this way will not be easy because you have an enemy. An enemy who hates you. An enemy who trembles that you would ever See yourself through the lens of the Father who trembles at the thought of you seeing who you really are in God's eyes. An enemy who is a thief who seeks to kill and destroy the identity that you have in Christ. So it's not going to be easy. He's going to fight you every step of the way. Number two, to define yourself this way will only come a reality in your life if you pull away from the world 
and spend some time alone with God and in his word. Right? Only time. See, for, for some of you, you know, there's a lot of things God would like to say to you. You're beating yourself up. You think you're worthless. The lies of the past you coming up. And there's some truth that God wants to speak to you, but you're not letting them. You're not letting them. You're not opening up this book where God says, hey, this is who you are. You know, so, so you know what? If you're not in the Word and you're not spending a long time with God, you, you, you're going you're gonna to fight this. You're going to keep picking up, picking up these wrong lenses and seeing a distorted picture of you when you could be Brad Pitt or someone else spiritually, right? You know what? It is December the 5th, 2017. And brothers and sisters, if you, it's football, football time, okay? If you will resist and replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God, if you will stop comparing yourself to other people, and if you will see yourself through the lens of the Father, again, if you will resist and replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God, if you will stop comparing yourself to others, and if you will reject those false distortions and see yourself through the lens of the Father, you could go all the way and getting better and loving God and loving others and loving yourselves. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we are amazed by you. And God, I pray for everyone in this room. Got every one of us stuck our hand in the air. Every one of us have battled these same temptations that we are what we do, we are what we have, we are what people think of us. And it is so distorted who we really are. And God, I pray that the day that we draw a line in the sand and say, no more, enough is enough. And that we'll throw down those distortions of the enemy and pick up the lens, your lens, God, and see ourselves through your eyes. God, we love you, and I pray, I pray, God, that as we worship now, as we sing this song, God, that we'll feel your love for us. Because, God, if it wasn't for your love for us, there never would have been a cross to begin with. In Jesus' name, amen.